Pills and Magenta Pills. Your dispensary of red, black and white capsules amidst the slow motion collapse of the empire. Hosted by Gregory Singh. Hey everyone and welcome back to Magenta Pills. Don't forget to follow, share, and if you have some extra cash laying around, consider subscribing to either my Patreon or Substack, which will be listed prominently in the show notes. As a quick reminder, you can follow me or the show on Twitter by adding at MagentaPillsPod or at GregZESQ, and I've also opened an Instagram account. So if you want to follow myself in a more personal way, my handle is at g.r.3.g.z And I realize that was a lot, so rest assured that all of these links will be placed in the show notes for your consideration. So today we will be examining an ancient Chinese parable brought to you by Chongzi, followed by some commentary and analysis. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Chongzi was a Taoist philosopher from about 2500 years ago, amidst the Warring States period of ancient China. He is considered one of the foundational figures of Taoism, along with Lao Tzu, which can either be a philosophical or religious tradition that emphasizes living in harmony with the way, or more correctly stated, your way in relation to the way. Chongzi is best known for his collection of writings called the Inner Chapters, which consists of a series of disjointed antidotes, parables, and dialogues that explore basic philosophical conceptualizations. So without going too far into the weeds on this topic, because I'm not doing an in-depth explanation of Taoism, but more so the parable I'm going to present, some of the key ideas associated with uh, the philosophical Taoism are the relativity of things, and Chongzi often used parables and stories to illustrate uh, the, re- the relativity of perspectives and the subjective nature of reality. Another key theme is spontaneity and naturalness. Chongzi often advocated for living in accordance with the natural order and embracing random spontaneity. He believed that by letting go of rigid rules and preconceived notions, individuals could achieve a more harmonious and authentic way of life. Another common theme in Taoist philosophy is the rejection of social conventions. Chongzi was often critical of societal norms and conventions because he would argue that they often constrained individualism and hindered people's ability to truly live freely. So he encouraged people to constantly question and transcend societal expectations. And finally, another common theme is uh, mysticism or mystical dimensions, because while Taoism generally emphasizes pragmatism and a down-to-earth approach to analyzing all sorts of day-to-day life issues, Chung's teachings also touch upon mystical and transcendental experiences. And these experiences are often depicted as glimpses into a higher reality or a understanding of the Tao itself or the way itself, uh, often presented in dream-like lucid, lucid dream states. So in light of those last couple sentences, I did want to caution anyone exploring this philosophical school to stay firmly on that side of the ledger. Because on the religious side of the equation, you can come across all manner of absurdities like alchemy, talisman rituals, mysticism, 
and uh, and deif- deification of Taoist figures. Uh, this isn't what we're looking at, though, in this episode. So I'll place a link to Chung's writings in the show notes, and in particular, this parable, as they are readily available for exploration online. Like I said, they're over 2,500 years old. And one final note before we dig in is that I bring this Taoist story to you today because of two seemingly disparate events. Although, if you ask Chengzi, he might say that nothing is actually disconnected from anything else. But regardless, one was a personal tribulation that tested my goodwill, and another a tragic revelation from the podcast community. Starting with the latter, it is sad for me to report that an amazing Taoist teacher and fellow podcaster, Dr. Carl Totten, is nearing the end of his life. He is a co-host of the What's This Dao All About podcast, and one of the most genuine voices I've ever heard online. Anyone who's heard his signature laugh will know precisely what I'm talking about. I highly recommend checking out that show and downloading the entire back catalog if you want a more in-depth look at Taoist lessons, both applied and theoretical. And if you can chip in a little to Dr. Totten's GoFundMe page, that will go a long way to making sure he can receive in-house care for his final days. Much love to Mr. Totten and his co-host Mr. Perry for all the amazing work they've done over the years. Please check the show notes if you want to chip in a little bit of money for that GoFundMe page I just mentioned. And getting back to the aforementioned personal tribulation front, I won't go into specific personal details because I find the airing of relationship grievances to be generally petty, but suffice to say that whenever I have a personal problem to deal with in life, I do find a lot of solace in recalling or rereading random Taoist lessons. And this one really hit the emotional spot considering the circumstances. So without further ado, here is the story of Zhang Zhe's Useless Tree. Carpenter Shi went to Chi, and when he got to Crooked Shaft, he saw a serrate oak standing by the village shrine. It was broad enough to shelter several thousand oxen and measured a hundred spans around, towering above the hills. The lowest branches were eighty feet from the ground, and a dozen or so of them could have been made into boats. There were so many sightseers that the place looked like a fair, but the carpenter didn't even glance around and went on his way without stopping. His apprentice stood staring for a long time and then ran after Carpenter Shi and said, Since I first took up my axe and followed you, master, I have never seen timber as beautiful as this. But you don't even bother to look and go right on without stopping. Why is that? Forget it, say no more, said the carpenter. It's a worthless tree. Make boats out of it and they'd sink. Make coffins and they'd rot in no time. Make vessels and they'd break at once. Use it for doors and it would sweat sap like pine. Use it for posts and the worms would eat them up. This is not a timber tree. There's nothing it can be used for. That's precisely how it got to be that old to begin with. Later on that night, after the master carpenter had returned home, 
the old tree itself appeared to him in a dream to give him a bit of a talking to. The tree asked, what are you comparing me with? Are you comparing me with those useful trees? The cherry apple, the pear, the orange, the citron, the rest of those fructiferous trees and shrubs? As soon as their fruit is ripe, they are torn apart and subjected to abuse. Their big limbs are broken off. Their little limbs are yanked around. Their utility makes life miserable for them. And so they don't get to finish out their years heaven has gave them but they are cut off in mid-journey. They bring it on themselves, the pulling and tearing of the common mob, and it's the same way with all other things. As for me, I've been trying for a long time to be of no use, and though I almost died, I finally got it. This is of great use to me. If I had been of some use, would I ever have grown this large? Moreover, you and I were both things. What's the point of this? Things condemning things. You are a worthless man about to die. How do you know I'm a worthless tree? So what are we to make of this story? There are obviously a lot of different ways we could interpret it, but I think I'm going to stick to a much more individualist perspective. I believe the overarching message is the encouragement of self-reflection upon one's external toxicity versus value matrix. And I'll explain that more in a second, but I'd like to remind everyone that if you want to submit your own understanding of this parable, please email me your thoughts to magentapillspod at gmail.com. So to start, we have to kind of understand what usefulness is. Now I can't really sit here and prescribe the definition of usefulness for you. How could I really? A lot of these things are relative to your situation and whatever circumstances you are in in life. But I think the ultimate thing that needs to be evaluated with this story is how you give value to other people and how they may or may not give value back to you. Because I think the easy way to interpret this story would be to simply say that you shouldn't be useful to anyone. If you're not useful to anyone, then no one can possibly take advantage of you. But I think this is to miss the entire point of the story. It is true that if you go through life not offering value for anything or anyone, yes, no one can take advantage of you. But on the flip side, you will not be able to get reciprocal value from anyone else. So in this vein, it might be beneficial for all of us to occasionally reflect on what precisely we are striving for in life and why and for whose advantage. Are we genuinely doing these things for us to help ourselves thrive and our families and our friends? Or are we simply being taken advantage of by users? And this is one of the underlying messages of the entire parable, I think. Beware of the users. And this is where the aforementioned toxicity versus value matrix comes into play. And using the tree, I think I'll set up a a little analogy. If the tree notices someone of value, someone who maybe comes around, admires the tree, sits under it, enjoys the shade, and continually comes back with other people to show it, to show off its beauty. In this instance, maybe when the tree notices that this high-value person is off on the horizon coming towards it, it sprouts off a piece of fruit, something that the high-value person could easily pluck off the tree and enjoy. 
Now, if the tree offers a valuable piece of fruit and that person plucks it off and really savors eating it and in turn comes back next time with uh, maybe a rake to help clean up the leaves around it or put some fertilizer down in the ground to help the tree grow. Well, in that instance, you know that you're getting value for value. The tree would understand that this person is actually caring about it the same way that it offered value to them. On the flip side, if the tree offered this hypothetical piece of fruit and the person yanked it off in a vicious fashion and then immediately went off to sell that piece of fruit at the market, keep the money, and then came back the very next day looking for more simply to sell, then the tree would realize that it was actually being exploited and that there was not a voluntary value-for-value relationship going on. In other words, the tree would realize that this person is just coming back to use it. So once again, we can very easily understand that we should be useless to the users, but not useless to anyone that gives us reciprocal value. Now, usually I talk about political and philosophical uh, subjects on this show, so... And I know that you guys listening are not dumb people, so I really shouldn't have to explain anything at a societal level in regard to the useless tree. It should be patently obvious to anyone uh, that when it comes to political parties, politicians, NGOs, corporations, we're not getting a value-for-value exchange here. We're generally being used for our votes, our dollars, our support, our donations, etc. So I'm not going to belabor this point because it should be very obvious that you should be extremely useless to these people. And I don't know exactly who said it, but it falls in the same vein as never willingly do the bidding of the regime. So again, we can look back at what can put you in a better position to not only recognize the users, but also to create your own intrinsic value so that you will not easily be manipulated. In this vein, I feel like the Aristotelian virtue ethics serve as a solid foundation upon which to build up your own character and put yourself in a position to not be uh, taken advantage of by any of the users out there and There are a lot of them out there. Now, if you take a look at the list that Aristotle set up, they involve courage, temperance, liberality, magnificence, proper pride, ambition, good temper, truthfulness, friendliness, and modesty. Aristotle argued against going at the extremes of all of these golden means. So, for example, in regards to the virtue of courage, you don't want to be excessive in this category where your courage is not actually courage, but it's actually irrationality or rashness, way too quick to act. On the flip side, if you're deficient in courage, it will result in cowardliness. One more example, when it comes to um, truthfulness, if you are deficient in this, then you will be Uh, a liar. And on the flip side, if you're excessively truthful, 
it can come off as boastfulness or what some people call radical honesty, um, just going around and stating precisely what you think at all times. Uh, this is a good way to uh, drive away high value people because there is a middle ground upon which you can be completely truthful, but still not be cruel or unnecessarily egotistical. So when you have a chance, look up the Aristotelian virtue ethics, try and find that golden mean. Maybe I'll do an episode about that in the future. But for now, in our useless tree, let's get back to uh, how to not be taken advantage of by the users. And this is part of the reason that I even created this episode to begin with is because you can actually just set up a routine, maybe monthly kind of self-analysis of your life and all the different relationships you have and see where you fall in that spectrum. This can apply to your work situation, your family, your friends, and most importantly, your romantic relationships. Now, it should be kind of obvious when things are not going as they seem. There will be that nagging sense of doubt or skepticism in the back of your mind when you feel like you may be taken advantage of. Now, it's very easy to dismiss those things out of short-term unhappiness because of whatever uh, marginal benefit you may be getting from a certain relationship. But in the long run, you know in your heart of hearts that you should sit down and objectively, rationally analyze whether or not you're actually getting reciprocal value from anyone that you deal with. Now, I'm not a commie, so when it comes to the first part I mentioned, your employment situation, you can't automatically assume that you're being exploited. Sure, if you're an employee as, a, as an opposed to an owner, for sure you are not making as much money as the ownership or even the management. But this is part of the deal that you signed up for. You're not taking on any of the risks of owning a business, so you get paid less and on the flip side, if you weren't actually providing excessive value to the employer, they wouldn't actually be able to run the business and keep you employed because they wouldn't be making any money. So I'm not going to deal with that topic very much. I guess the only thing I would mention is that if you're in, a, if you're in an employment situation where you actually are being taken advantage of, where you're being forced to do extra hours for no pay, uh, if coworkers are stealing your ideas, if uh, you are expected to do more than somebody else, despite the fact that you are a higher quality employee and they are not, but they get away with everything, it might be in your interest to bring up these concerns to whoever the relevant party is, or on the flip side, maybe just start exploring your other options outside the company if it truly is an exploitative relationship. Now, in regard to family and friends, maybe even romantic partners, the situation shouldn't always be evaluated as a direct, straight up, I did this, they did that, let's compare every single interaction and see if there's exact equal value all the time. I don't think I need to tell you that when it comes to more interpersonal type relationships, you need to kind of take a longer view of the situation because there are going to be uh, highs and lows with everything. 
People go through rough patches and sometimes you will need to provide extra value to them and down the road they will provide extra value to you. But if it's a situation wherein the people that you're constantly providing value to, and this can come in many forms, but it's most typically in the forms of money, love, and in other words, emotionality or connection or simple uh, communication and uh, most importantly, time. So if you sit back and take a long view of everything and you start to make some mental calculations about what you're providing to people and what you're getting back over the long term, then you really should start to see a clearer picture of whether or not you are being exploited by those close to you. And again, we can get back to Chong's useless tree because we see that if you don't actually take care of yourself to some degree and you're constantly giving, like you're some sort of radical altruist or empath, if you're constantly giving and giving and not getting much in return, then you're not going to be able to be that big, strong tree of Chong's story. You're going to be a broken down, used up piece of wood that the carpenter would have gladly exploited for his own purposes. And this doesn't need to be some sort of compulsive fixation that you're constantly wandering around with day-to-day life, wondering if every single exchange that you do with people is uh, equal for equal value. You'll find that if you do that, well, you're going to probably lead yourself into a, into a corner. Uh, you're going to isolate yourself because there's way too much uh, give and take in, in interpersonal relationships for you to simply evaluate everything on its own and in isolation from all the other things going on around it. So please, when you are evaluating all these decisions in your life, take a bit of a, at least a midterm view to long-term view of the situation. But if you go through it and you start to see that all the checks line up on the uh, exploitative side of the ledger, then you really should uh, reevaluate whether or not you're going to continue the relationship Again, I think this is a completely healthy and uh, probably life-benefiting choice that you could make to intermittently kind of reevaluate all the different things in your life and see whether or not you're being used. Because at the end of the day, uh, the, the people who want to use you, um, they're everywhere and they will constantly try and do this to you. And the only way you can mitigate it is being as wise and virtuous as you possibly can to not only show the users that you can't be taken advantage of or that you can't be corrupted and also that you'll recognize within yourself the most important values that you hold and how holding those values will benefit everyone you know in the long run if you stay true to them. So to finish off this episode, the red pill of the situation of Chong's tree is that the users, the exploiters, the, the liars, they, they're everywhere. Whether you like it or not, you're probably in some sort of relationship with these people already. The black pill in this situation is that there's nothing you can do to stop that. It almost seems to be a part of human nature wherein people will automatically default to getting away with whatever they're allowed to get away with. So if you allow yourself to be in an exploited position, 
then people are automatically going to sense that, uh, whether it's subconscious or overtly cynical and, and conscious, um, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to use it against you for their own advantage. The white pill is that if you recognize all of these things and you try and adopt some of the strategies that I outlined earlier, then you're in a much better position to not only be a strong individual yourself, but to prevent corrupt and lying and user people from taking advantage of you. Getting back to Chung's story, don't forget that the user class have no problem chopping off your branches to make boats out of. They'll gladly pick your fruit to go sell at the market or to selfishly hoard to themselves. But by staying true to yourself, your own nature, and trying to constantly better yourself in terms of your personal virtues, you can become almost invincible towards these people because they will realize from the outset that they can't take advantage of you because you're too strong. And conversely, just like the tree, you'll be able to provide a lot more value to everyone in your life. You'll be able to stand tall and shelter people underneath you without the worry of people coming down to hack off your limbs, strip your bark off, and steal your fruit. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care and stay virtuous. for patronizing the magenta pills podcast stay tuned for your next prescription